What's up, WizKids? Welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. I am Chris Gehring. Jacob Brame is across the table from me. We're working the two-man game today. It's just us. Chris, Zach this is, your, is, this on the is road. your this is your hosting debut, isn't it? Yeah, my hosting debut. Zach Rosen is on the road. He's out of town getting some rest. Jeremy is on the road with the squad. They are heading to New Orleans and Miami this weekend. Um, we will get to that in a little bit. But first of all, some housekeeping. We are, of course, brought to you by Pod DC hotel the new hotel right here in chinatown and as we mentioned on the last episode we are doing a live pod at crimson the restaurant inside pod that everybody should check out uh it'll be a chicken sandwiches you'll find in dc it's so good we were privileged to get a chance to check it out eat some food have some cocktails and uh we've all been there we've all checked out the basement bar in crimson where we will be doing the show jason smith will be joining us gonna be a really good pod Come out and join us you get some fan questions in get a chance to meet jason it'll be uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a super fun event uh you know yeah. you'll be uh you'll be over having watched uh four days of basketball for the ncaa tournament <laughs> that's and right you'll be you'll be ready for to get back into the nba yeah it's gonna be really good there will be happy hour specials will be at five o'clock monday march 19th so catch us there catch us at crimson in the meantime go check out crimson head on over there it's an awesome place it's a great spot it's definitely, what you think. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a definitely like a best kept secret right now in DC. But we're trying to let people know that it's a really good spot to be before Wizard Games, after games. If you're in Chinatown, if you're downtown for work, check it out. Um, let's uh, let's dive into some Wizards hoops. But anyway, yes, we are fresh off of a win to close up what I think was a it was a it was a difficult homestand. There's no other way to put it. I don't think that the the players that the coaching staff is is happy with how the homestand went as a whole but i do think that that the way that it ended and the way that the wizards played against the heat to close it out and go on a really important little two-game road trip here um it's encouraging two-game road trip that may have just gotten considerably easier yeah um with uh, some questionable news about anthony davis uh, unfortunately because of the fact that he is playing better than anybody else in the nba right now and He's yeah. a joy to watch, and he's great for the game. But if he has to miss one game, I wouldn't be upset if it was that one. But I, we all certainly hope he's not seriously injured. Yeah. Um, I, if the news has come out about his injury after we release this, uh, yeah. just ignore what of I've course. just said. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so going back to the Miami game, I think that, man, you would have liked to have, you would have, liked to have had it not be that difficult. Yeah. For and sure. you would have liked to have had Bradley Beal, Sadoransky, and Keefe all not play 40 million minutes. But the fact is that they needed that win. And so any way you get that done is is good stuff. Yeah, I think it's – it's Sadoransky, we were talking a little bit about this, and I think we may have mentioned on the last pod too, but he has played more minutes recently with the, with the absence of John Wall than we – than he probably has in his career with the NBA schedule being a lot different than things internationally and him being a young player. Um, it certainly could, should be adding up on him, but yeah. he played out, he played outstanding. The, basketball. O- the only, the only place, the only place in the whole game that I saw maybe wearing on him was at the free throw line yeah. after of course, Rosen had jinxed him by tweeting <laughs> that he hadn't missed yeah. a free throw in like six months. He missed two down the stretch and that's the only place I saw that maybe. Yeah. But man, yeah, he certainly the first time in his career he's played forty minutes. I'm sure at any level, yeah. I have to imagine. Yeah, but I'm mostly guessing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it certainly, and it was just a you know, 
the Heat, we've always said that the Heat are a tough matchup for the Wizards. They were again. Um, they didn't have Wayne Ellington as, as we as we thought they might not, but the usual suspects that that are that can hurt the Wizards: Tyler Johnson, um, Hassan Whiteside at times, Dwayne Wade turned back the clock there for a good 15 minutes before mm-hmm. missing an unusual layup. That was that was that just was wild. Um, <laughs> it was he, just. I think that he was so surprised he was so alone that he like put up yeah. some ridiculous floater yeah. when all he had to do was lay the ball in. Yeah, but the good part about it, as we mentioned, Sadaransky played well. Keith Morris played very well as well. He's he's been efficient. He's been rebounding the ball. He's been doing really exactly everything that the hit Wizards hit a huge three. Hit a huge three in the corner. Probably the biggest shot of the game. Yeah, in front of the Heat bench, um, fading away late in the shot clock. Any 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 qualifier you want to put on it. It was it was a really big shot from Keith, and it's really good to see him hit those shots because when he is confident from beyond the arc and playing with that edge inside, rebounding, he's a really important piece of this team. We we knew that going back to last season obviously in the playoffs yeah, i think he's finally finally truly healthy yeah and he's finally playing with that edge and grit that this unit so severely needs and so yeah and then finally bradley beal obviously he was it might have been it might, honestly it might have been his most efficient game of the year i mean he was well he, he was awesome. he, he shot so, he shot the ball so well he was what five of six from three 30 points he rebounded he moved the ball he hit big shots. He had the ball late in late in regulation, um, and kind of was kind of was forced to take a shot that I don't think he wanted. But you know, ah, you he just want to see one of these go down for mm-hmm. him so badly, though. And I think and I think they will. And I appreciate I appreciate that he is still taking that challenge as the Wizards' big as the Wizards' big time player right now as the All Star on the floor for the Wizards. He still accepts that challenge. And I think that he's got a good. I think that he's in a good headspace for it too. I don't think that he is like. He's not going to shy away from it. No, it's not. It's not dragging on him. It's not weighing on his shoulders. I think he knows that he's that guy, and he plays like that every night now. Um, and and the Wizards need that. And Coach Brooks has talked about it at length. And I think I think Brad knows that. But going into, it, I think it was very very important to get this win going into this road trip that you don't want to be on an L4 heading into a back-to-back in New Orleans and Miami and whether or not Davis plays or not that New Orleans game is still going to be really tough they've won 10 consecutive games yeah and um they are there playing an extraordinarily high level guys like Holiday and Rondo Etwan Moore all playing awesome but I mean it does get considerably less complicated without Anthony Davis because <laughs> Frankly, there's no matchup for him. I don't care who you have. Yeah, and he he has embraced this role of just kind of doing it all. I mean, he's rebounding, he's blocking shots, he's playing the five. Where earlier in the year with Boogie Cousins, they were you know, obviously they were playing two bigs and and working that way, and they were winning games that way. But the space that's been allowed for Anthony Davis now, and with the way that Drew Holiday is playing, is certainly has certainly helped, but I mean Davis was just torching people every single night and and really just putting. I mean he's he's been putting up ridiculous stat lines, but as we all know, sometimes ridiculous stat lines don't lead to the most consistent basketball team wise. But the Pelicans have been unreal, and they uh, they ride into this one on a, what I guess it's a nine game winning streak. Is it nine or ten now? I believe it's nine, um, but. Um, they are just playing out outstanding basketball, and they are coming into this though, off of a four-game road trip. They get a day off on, to, on the day that we're taping this Thursday, 
um, the day that the Wizards are traveling. Um, so we'll see how they come out. Those long road trips, if Jeremy Hyman I'm were right, here. It's 10. It's 10. Um, if Jeremy Hyman were here, he would be sure to mention that teams coming off long West Coast road trips coming back east, that first game after that trip, even even though they have a day off, um, is a lot of times it's kind of tricky time-wise and, and that. So the Wizards have two days off heading into this game. They're playing well after that win, and um, ha- I think we'll be playing with plenty of confidence. We'll see where Anthony Davis stands. I think um, – I'd obviously, say it's unlikely he's going to play right I would, now. I would agree, and obviously we don't have any inside information they're not on gonna, that. They're not going to push it. They're, 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 yeah. Their playoff positioning right now is very solid. They have they have skyrocketed, and the bottom of the West is, is really interesting because obviously past Houston and Golden State, there's a 12-game gap between Golden State and the third-seeded Trailblazers right now. <laughs> the um, Trailblazers are pretty, yeah. man. And, it's so and interesting. The Pelicans are right behind them. They're a half game at 38-26 and 26 on a 10-game winning streak. But the top of the West is, just really quickly, the, the Rockets are on a 17-game win streak. We hear about that every time that they play. Golden State's on a win six. Portland has won eight in a row. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10. and so Between the top four teams in the West, they've won 41 consecutive games. Yeah. What's I they, what's interesting is not even played each other right. in that time, but <laughs> of course, forty-one consecutive games between the top four in the East and yeah. Um, whereas in the top four in the East, sorry, the top, top four, four in the West, West, yeah, top four in the East have one have are all on at least win ones. Yeah, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's right, including us now. We're back in the top four. Yeah, Toronto. Interestingly enough, the nugget, the interesting nugget from last night, they are the first team in the NBA to clinch a playoff berth. So at forty-seven and seventeen, the Raptors are officially in. In case anybody was wondering, if I they was had a really shot. concerned for Toronto um, whether or not they were going to make the playoffs. So, turning our attention now, then from the Pelicans into um, Miami, again. into Miami again, a trip to Miami. Always tough to always tough to win there on a back-to-back second half of a back-to-back. We know that those can be difficult, though. I, maybe, I, it's, I, maybe it's better that we get into Miami after a game than we have a night off there. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you never know. You know, well, get into Miami late, go to bed, and get ready to play another game. Um, the Heat, obviously, a, a tough matchup. We'll see where Wayne Ellington stands after another week. Um, he's a, he's an interesting piece for them that really helps them really score helps spread the floor because yeah, it's just they have they have guys that can shoot the ball. We saw Josh Richardson, we saw Tyler Johnson. But Wayne Ellington's really, really a sharp shooter. They were only 9 of 33 really from helps them. Richardson was the only one who was particularly good. Wade was 0 for 5 from distance, although he did get fouled in on that one fouled. crucial play from deep. Um, looking at the East playoff picture right now, um, yeah. fascinating. Um, I think that the top, the top eight have basically been determined. I'm willing to, I'm willing to basically say that. I, I think agree. That barring some really funny business, yeah. frankly, for, I think it would take – Charlotte getting really hot because I don't think it's happening for Detroit. Yeah, for I reference, they need they need a full year. Uh, they need to get that team on the same page. But yeah, um, for reference, the story right now: Milwaukee is in the eighth seed at thirty four and thirty one. Five games back of them is Detroit, and then Charlotte's another game back of Detroit. But and so I, I mean, I think that yeah. I have more faith in Charlotte getting really hot than I have in Detroit getting really hot. Right but it's it's probably about set. But man, three games between the four and the eight, you've got. Only one separating four and six, and it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a dogfight to the finish to see what mm-hmm. what the seating breaks out. And I'm sure that everybody has their own personal opinions of who they want to see in the first round. I think that um, uh, I'm, I'm 
Yeah, I mean, we still have, we still have ways to go. It's hard, and and right now it's right now four through eight is Washington, Indiana, Philadelphia, Miami, Milwaukee. The Heat are three games back of the Wizards going into this game, going into this week, I should say, um, second half of this week uh, weekend. So it's all tightly bunched. It's still that way. It's it's going to be that way for the rest of the for the rest of the road because as we know, we play, we see Indiana again. We see Boston again. The 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 East will be see Boston um, twice. See Boston twice. It's a it's it's going to be a tough road. It's going to be a tough road. To every team keep is going. good. Every like every team we play the rest of the way is yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So um, should we uh, should we get to our interview? Yeah. So our interview today, Phil Walker, as as people hopefully know by now and should know, our 40th anniversary celebration of the championship of the yeah the 40th anniversary celebration of the 78 championship team is coming up in, on the weekend of March 23rd against Denver. March 23rd against Denver, we're retiring Phil's jersey. Obviously, you cannot miss that. Or March 25th, we're bringing back the full squad from that 78 team, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome it's um, gonna getting be, those guys all back together. It's going to be a really, really special weekend. And so today, our interview that we recorded earlier this year with Phil Walker – a fascinating story yeah a really interesting interview a really interesting guy his role on the team is super interesting he's a role player and you may not know much about phil he played a grand total of one season in the nba yeah and he his, talks about that um and his one year was uh on a championship squad yeah uh, he was he was a, he was the rookie on the squad and he uh, uh he played some he played uh he averaged about five points a game and um you know um, soaked up some good minutes for that team, and um, you, you want to hear what he has to say. He has he provides really good insight on the team as as a rookie and talks about what it was like uh, um, being a part of a championship team. And um, our Bullets Forty weekend and that interview, this interview coming up is brought to you by Chibani. The whole weekend's brought to you by Chibani. I know that I personally eat Chibani for breakfast. Uh, Love Chibani almost every day that I remember to eat breakfast. Um, Chibani is America's number one Greek yogurt. Made the right way, not genetically modified, with only natural ingredients and sweeteners. Um, let's get to that interview with Phil Walker. Yeah. On the other end of the break, you will hear Phil Walker. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, a special Bullets 40th anniversary of them winning the championship edition. We are joined now by Phil Walker. He was a rookie on that team. Uh, I tell you what, I don't know if you have much more luck than that than coming in <laughs> your, your first season and winning the NBA championship. Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, joined here with Zach Rosen and Jacob Rame as well on the pod. Uh, first, just, you know, you, you're kind of doing the whole car wash here. You took some photos. We did a nice long interview with you that will be on Monumental Sports Network. How does it feel to come back to D.C. and be a part of this? Forty years later, it certainly doesn't feel like it's been that long. Um, great feeling, brings back a lot of great memories. Um, you mentioned it a little earlier that I was a first-year player, a rookie, and had an opportunity to win a world championship. Um, luck or blessing, I'll take you the one, but uh, <laughs> absolutely it was a great time. Um, so that was that ended up being your only season in the NBA. For that to be your only experience with the league and to win a title, like what is it? You what is what is that? What did that mean to you and for um, for that championship? Yeah, it probably um, damaged me because every time I went into another corporation, I thought my first year I'd 
probably won a championship <laughs> there as well. But uh, no, it was certainly exciting. Um, it was an opportunity for me to play with players who I had um, grown up watching on television. You know, Elvin Hayes and Wes and Bobby, Phil Chenier. Uh, got to know them, but more importantly, got to understand what um, true professionalism was all about. And uh, really building a solid team, having a great strategy, building a solid team, and then going after something collectively, uh, as in this NBA World Championship. And look, at the beginning of the year, you kind of start out thinking that you got a shot, but you just never know. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other teams that have that same goal. Uh, as you go through the season and you go through the normal challenges, the ebbs, the flows, uh, and then you get towards the end, you kind of get a sense of whether or not you can, maybe maybe you got a shot at doing this. Maybe there's an opportunity for us, a real opportunity for us to win. And I think that's really what happened as a first-year player. I got a chance to kind of see all of this to a large degree from the bench, but as I tell my <laughs> son, I was there. Um, but uh, it was a great experience. I, I wouldn't obviously uh, trade it for anything in the world. I know you talked a lot about all the characters in the locker room. What really stuck out about that group with multiple Hall of Famers, All-Stars, just a special group of people? Yeah, um, strong personalities. Uh, I think any time you have a championship team, whether it's no matter what sport, you're going to have strong personalities. And I think the key for the coach is to make sure you meld and develop and bring those personalities together towards one one common goal, and I think that's what we had. Um, you know, you had, uh, as I said, two Hall of Fame players uh, in Elvin and Wes, who both of them have their own person, you know, really strong personalities, and and you had uh, Tommy Henderson, who was one of our, our lead guard, um, who had been in the league for a while. Bobby, who was a perennial All Star, and then you had a number of bench players, uh, uh, Mitch Kupchak and Greg and and Larry Wright, Joe Pace, C.J. myself who all felt that, um, you know, we deserve more time. <laughs> and so, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I think we all, we all uh, bought into this, this, this common goal of wanting to win the championship. So the memories I have from that season are, are really, really good memories. They aren't, look, at the end of the day, anytime you have a family, uh, you're, gonna have some, you're gonna have some disputes, you're gonna have some challenges. But at the end of the day, I think we came together under one common banner. When you remember uh, after Game Seven, after the locker room, uh, you, I remember reading about how there was no champagne in the locker room. Uh, had to go out and get beer, and I heard there was even a, a, a bus stopping uh, on the way to the airport to get more <laughs> champagne yes. to celebrate. Uh, what, what's your background of what happened with that? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, we still laugh about it. I think we had beer initially in the locker room. I'm not sure whether we went out. I, I, 40 years is a long time, so trying to, uh, <laughs> to, to, true, to buy true. into the memory. But uh, it, it seems to me that we did get, either have to go out and buy champagne or we stole some of the champagne from the Seattle, Seattle Supersonics locker room. Uh, but, yeah, I think we did stop and grab some champagne away. But I think we kid ourselves uh, and laugh about this today that, Maybe even our upper management didn't think we were going to win on the road. Um, but we felt comfortable. We felt really, really good about going into game seven. And uh, when you win on the road after winning um, 44 games during the course of the regular season 
and then you're bringing a world championship trophy back to D.C. Um, wasn't any greater feeling. I'm not sure. We, I know we drank champagne, a lot of champagne on the plane back. So <laughs> the next morning. So uh, I know we were uh, uh, we were riding high coming back into uh, coming back into D.C. How would you compare? I mean, how would you compare this year's iteration of the Washington Wizards for the season that's about to come up, coming off of a 49-win season? to your guys' team in 78, 79? Yeah, again, different makeup. Um, again, we had two Hall of Famers uh, and two players that are in the top 50 of all time. We had a perennial all-star in Bob Dandridge. Um, and we had gone through the battles. We had, I mean, we had players that had been in World Championship Series before. So we had a lot more experience than the current uh, Wizards team. Uh, I do like the, the foundation and the nucleus that they're building. I mean, with Wall and Beal, and now they're starting to get a pretty good surrounding cast to support these guys. So again, they've still got to continue to climb that, climb that mountain. I think they're going in the right direction. Uh, they've got some tough competition with, with Cleveland and, uh, and Boston, and certainly Toronto. Uh, but I think, that's gonna, I think they've got a good nucleus. I think they've got a good foundation and just have to continue to, to fight through those challenges. And the game has changed exponentially since then. How do, how do you watch basketball now compared to when you were playing, you know, going back to high school even? Yeah. Um, the game, when, I, when we played back in the 70s and even in the 60s, um, was more big man oriented. So if you had a big man who was talented. Mm, Wes Unseld helped. Yeah, Wes yeah. Unseld <laughs> and, and, and Elvin Hayes. Uh, when you had a big man who was extremely talented, you had a tendency to feed them the ball. It was more of an inside-out game. The game was also more methodical. Now the players are getting up and down the court. And we didn't have the three-point line at that time. So you couldn't spread the offense out the way you can now. So a um, little different from that aspect. Plus you have multi-dimensional players today who can play three and four different positions. And so they're, intercha they're, they're um, interchanged. Uh, pretty freely um, by the coaches. And so you have a much smaller lineup. A lot of the centers today are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, uh, and they can get up and down the floor. Uh, you didn't have that back when we played. And, and so you had you know, offenses that, again, were much more conventional. Uh, but the other piece that I think is different today than, than it was back then, it was a much more physical game, and the rules have changed quite a bit. Um, when guys came down the lane and dunked, um, that was great, but the second time they tried to do that, they typically were picking themselves up off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a foul, but it wasn't an ejection and so, or flagrant. And so um, the game has changed today. They're protecting the players, and, and probably rightfully so. To no some more bad boys type teams. Yeah, no more bad yeah. boys type teams. And, and even, you know, if you go back even prior to the bad boys, I mean, the Bullets and the Knicks with oh, you know, yeah. Wes and Willis and, and, and Gus Johnson and Dave DeBuscher and Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier. I mean, these were, these were battles. These were rivalries. These were physical, physical series. And so um, even those series are, were, in, were indicative of the kind of physical play that you don't see today. But again, I think just two different eras. I still love the game of basketball. I love to watch the game of basketball, especially during the playoffs. Um, it is a little frustrating when you see these guys shooting these three-pointers with nobody in their face. I think defensively, um, they aren't tightening down the way they used to. Uh, but again, um, I think the playoffs is where you really start to see um, true basketball. A couple of things I read online, uh, your nickname, 
Do you remember what they called you? <laughs> if my, I, I believe they called me Grump. Yeah. <laughs> they said you look like one of the seven dwarves. Well, I, I think, no, I think the reason no? they, no, it wasn't because of the, uh, the seven dwarfs. I think the reason they called me Grump is because I, I never smiled. Ah, coming. Okay, I, was, okay. I was pretty. I've serious. seen a lot of smiles during this podcast. So <laughs> that's pretty good. There we go. Well, it's forty years later. <laughs> it's forty years later now. You were a rookie in the NBA. How could you not smile? Well, what you, was got, going you, on? you you got to remember, it's all you know. Take this and take this timeline in uh, in context. Um, I was twenty one years old, coming from a small college mm-hmm. into the NBA, and uh, I was a second round draft choice. I was the third player selected. Uh, I wasn't guaranteed to make the team. So I came in um, really hungry. Hungry meaning I came in very competitive. Yeah. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody here in, you know, in, on the Bullets team. So I came in. I, matter of fact, I had some skirmishes <laughs> with quite a few of the Bullets of my teammates <laughs> early on. Um, because I was trying to get a roster spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so Love that you fight. Had to earn it, right? Yeah, yeah. well, that's right. That's right. And so I knew Mata had a had a uh, history of liking hard of really attract was being attracted to and liking hard nosed players. I was that and I came in and tried to prove that. So I kinda got this reputation as being a little bit of a physical player, but also early on didn't smile a lot, uh, kinda was pretty reserved really opened up as the season went on and got a chance to, to know everyone and, and vice versa. So another thing, highlight of the year for you, scoring 23 points versus L.A. Second half of the season, you wore blue and gold shoes. <laughs> yes. What, what was the reasoning behind the blue and gold shoes? Um, actually, it, it, I'm not sure if there was any strategic reason around this. Uh-huh. I, I, they actually were. Um, for the championship trophy to match? That's something like that. <laughs> Yeah, they were uh, they were manufactured by Pony. Pony had just introduced. Whoa, Pony! Yes, 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 a, yes. a name that will live in infamy. <laughs> um, they were manufactured by Pony, and they had just introduced this series. They were like blue and yellow suede, by the way. <laughs> so let's let's Fancy. be real clear about that. So they were best basically rocking dress shoes that's on the court. That's, exa- that's exactly right. Uh, but they just went well with the uniform. And, cool. and I ended up, he's the, one of the reps showed them to me. I ended up playing in them in a practice, and I kind of said, whoa, I like these. Let's see if we can do something on the court with these. So, yeah, that's how it came about. <laughs> Did the other players like it? Did anybody copy you? I, 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 no, I don't think they copied me. As a matter of fact, I took a lot of ribbing yeah. as a result of these blue and, blue and gold suede shoes. But you know what? It, it, it also was just indicative of a first-year player who – um, just wanted to express himself and, and um, you know, just wanted to get out there and be competitive and, and do whatever they needed to do to be a part of the team. Well, so, go ahead. Um, so um, since you won a title in 78, I know that um, post-basketball, your career has been filled with business ventures and nonprofit experience. Can you give us it's just a couple highlights from, uh, from the stuff you've accomplished? Um, sure. Sure. Um, after I left basketball, I went back and uh, got my master's degree in business administration. I spent 20-plus uh, years on the corporate side, so I've uh, been in sales and marketing, uh, market development. I've run large business units for some large corporations, um, Xerox, Steelcase, um, Right Management. I've um, been a number of business ventures. I've 
own uh, several franchise uh, stores up in the Philadelphia area. Um, and so uh, I've, been, I've been very blessed, very fortunate. And I think, again, the foundation for me, a large part of that foundation in terms of my business success and what I was able to do, and, by, and hopefully it's not, that's, that's not done yet, <laughs> but I think the foundation from that or for that came from uh, what I learned and what I galvanized in the 1977 and 78, uh, going through a season where, uh, again, you had ebbs and flows and um, you had very strong personalities that were all um, focused on this one goal. You build a team concept and you have strong teamwork and you get folks that are focused on that. And then you have strong determination and persistence. Um, and then from that comes success. And uh, it's not about I, it's always about we. And I think that's something that I learned from the 77, 78 season. I think that's helped me throughout my business career. That's good. Yeah. Uh, with all that business experience, I'm sure you've come across some interesting uh, people and that kind of thing. But did that locker room also kind of set you up for dealing with different kinds of people with such big personalities and stuff like that? Yeah, without question. Um, a couple of things. I, I don't know if you can. Someone asked me um, at, when I first started being successful in the corporate world, and then having some level of success as an entrepreneur, um, if this was kind of the best time of my life. And, you know, I, I'm not sure I can ever, or we can ever replicate um, the camaraderie and the feeling um, that you have when you're winning a world championship and playing a game that you would play even if they didn't pay, pay you money to do that. <laughs> Uh, although I'd love to be getting paid what they're p getting paid today. <laughs> uh, but, but it certainly prepared me for, um, yeah, meeting CEOs and other um, C-suite uh, individuals around the country and around the world that I was able to um, understand um, uh, where they were coming in terms of their goals and strategies and, uh, and just feel confident enough to be in the room with those kinds of individuals. Um, so yeah, absolutely. This uh, this experience was one that I was able to take in a number of different venues and environments. All right. What do you remember about the Fat Lady Sings? Like <laughs> how it came about? Yeah, it seems to me that was a Dick Mata um, statement. It, 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 the story goes he was in a hotel room in San Antonio and had the opera on, and that that was like his speech before the next game, and that was kind of how it got going? Uh, I'd be honest with you, I, again, 40 years later, I'm not sure exactly how it came about. I thought it was more around the fact that he was being interviewed by someone, and they, and they were making a statement kind of insinuating that maybe the bullets were, you know, getting ready to get knocked out of the series. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made the statement that kind of said, the opera ain't over until a fat lady sings. And so, um, and so again, it shows the resilience, I think, that we had as an organization that we didn't think that this thing was over at any time, even when we were down. And we were down in the San Antonio series. Um, we were down in the Seattle series. And so, again, um, that, that statement has taken on a life of itself uh, over the years. I mean, you hear it in a number of different uh, sports um, venues and a number of different sporting events, uh, but I think the one that's really uh, capitalized on that and, and really started that was Mata. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you very much for joining Thank us. Thank you Phil. so much, Phil. I enjoyed awesome. it. Thanks for having me.